The Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show, episode number 38. Welcome to the show where we help you make smart nutrition simple so that you can fuel your best with less. Less time, less money, and less stress. I'm Ben Brown, co-founder and CEO of BSL Nutrition, and I'm excited to have you join me on this journey. Each week, I'll be sharing expert advice from leaders in the field of nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, and supplementation who actually practice what they preach and are also on a mission to positively impact as many people as possible in a meaningful way. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to episode number 38 of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. I'm your host, Ben Brown, co-founder and CEO of BSLNutrition.com. Today on the show, I am happy to welcome Krista Scott Dixon, PhD. She is the Director of Curriculum at Precision Nutrition, which is one of the top online nutrition coaching and coach certification programs in the world. She's a creator of the PN Coaching Program and its offshoot Pro Coach and PN Level 2 Masterclass Certification, as well as the co-author of PN Level 1 Certification Textbook, Essentials of Sport and Exercise Nutrition. Previously, she was a researcher and teaching faculty member at York University in Toronto, and she's published widely in both academic and popular presses, as well as being a sought-after speaker on the topic of nutrition and behavior change, and her latest book is a workbook full of curse words called Why Me Want to Eat, Fixing Your Food, excuse my language, Fucked Upitude. She also created one of the first websites for women's weight training back in the mid-1990s, called stumptuous.com. This is a conversation chock full of clinical pearls, as I like to call them, as we talk about the coaching process, as we talk about establishing more awareness with those looking to create change in their life, uh, the power of awareness, the power of action, even if it's just five minutes, and how the majority of what people need as it pertains to health and weight loss and loving their bodies more revolves not so much around what we do or don't put into our mouths, but rather the way that we experience our food, the way that we work within our community, the way that we, uh, the social support that we surround ourselves with, the way that we uh, think about ourselves. And, and so you're going to want to make sure to listen to this all the way through. And so I'll waste no further time. Uh, We will jump right in after this short message. Today's episode is brought to you by my nutrition company, BSL Nutrition, and our all-in-one training drink called Complete Essentials. When you use the Complete Essentials, you'll no longer need pre-, during-, and post-workout supplements. You can save time, money, and energy, and get all the beneficial nutrients you need in one delicious, easy-to-mix drink. Make sure you guys stay tuned after the show where I'll share a nice little discount for all of our listeners on your first product purchase. Krista Scott Dixon, hello. Welcome to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. It's really, a, it's really an honor to have you on. Um, and, uh, you know, with all your experience coaching clients over uh, the number of years, um, the first thing I want to jump into with you, Krista, is I, I'd love to find out more about kind of just in a nutshell, what you've been doing with Precision Nutrition all these years and all of the kind of data that you guys have been able to collect? Well, okay. So for folks who maybe don't know what we do, we're basically, I think, the world's largest online nutrition coaching company. So just to set the stage. And so we've had about 50,000 
coaching clients go through our program, which is a year long program. Um, and then we've also, we also certify coaches. And so we've had about 40,000 coaches to date go through our certification program, whether that's level one or, or level two, and everything is online. So my job is to write the curriculum that coaches would see or that clients would see and to kind of put it out there to, you know, folks who would either want to transform their bodies or who would be looking to help other people transform their bodies. So that's more or less the short version of what I do. And then I also, uh, you know, I also go out and do talks and workshops and kind of spread the gospel of, of precision nutrition to people. Um, and that's a role that's actually really evolved over the years because when I first started at Precision Nutrition, I think I was employee number eight. <laughs> if I couldn't remember correctly. And we had a website and we had, um, I think we had a binder at that time, but it was like pretty not low budget. I mean, it was well done, but like mm -hmm. it certainly did not have the reach and the scope and the huge team of people that we have now. So yeah, that's what I do more or less. So, so what's some of the data that you guys are consistently collecting that you can use as a guide, as a framework in order to continually grow in the industry? That's a great question. Uh, you know, we, we have unbelievable amounts of more data than we can use. Like we really want to hire, you know, some, uh, an entire team of machine learning experts to really, to, to really plumb the depths of it. But in general, what we've seen is that behavior change strategies and approaches work, um, that uh, people truly benefit from them. And there are a few factors that contribute to people's success, whether that's in body change or, or self-education. And I think the most useful thing for listeners is to know you don't have to be talented. You don't have to be gifted. You don't have to be special. You don't have to be smarter. You don't have to know more. You just have to show up every day and do the thing. That is all. Like That is the most significant predictor of success in any mm -hmm. program that we have is just that you show up every day and you do the thing we ask you to do. That's it. And it's interesting because uh, many of our finalists, people who win our, our little body transformation competition, they're just regular people. They don't know about nutrition or they're willing to sort of set whatever they know aside and just follow the instructions. But they just took such a simple approach. They're just like, I'm going to show up and do what you guys tell me to do. I'm going to do that tomorrow. And this mm -hmm. blew my mind because I think that so many of us in the industry are trying to learn more and do more and be more and, and push it and look for the magic plan or whatever. Mm -hmm. But all you have to do is show up and follow instructions. That's it. That's what the yeah, data say. <laughs> well, I mean, to, to your credit, though, it's, it's the level of instruction that is, you know, the most important aspect, I mean, next to them showing up is what is the instructions that you guys are giving them that's leading them down the, the yellow brick road, so to speak. So, so how has that level of instruction evolved over the years that, that you've been involved with the program? Because you, you mentioned behavior change. Has it always been behavior change or was there a point when it was like, eat this, not that, and yes. you realized, and at what point did you realize that, no, 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 I think we need to focus more on those behaviors. Maybe you could speak a little bit to that. Yeah, that's such a great question. And I'm really glad you asked that because that's exactly what happened. Like when I first started, we saw ourselves as being in the business of providing 
sports nutrition information for people, I think, who were pretty much interested in sports nutrition. So they were people who were looking for that information, who truly wanted to know about it, who would be genuinely interested in knowing the mechanics of it and, and how many grams of protein they should be eating and all that kind of stuff. And we definitely treat it very much as like a top-down kind of thing, right? We're going to tell you some stuff and you follow what we tell you to do yeah. and then you'll get ripped and swole. And they did, right? <laughs> but, but we started to kind of bump up against things like, for example, in, uh, the first habit of our program used to be take fish oil. And people were like, were like, but why do I take fish oil? What kind of fish oil do I take? My pharmacist says it's too much. Like just stuff, you know, all this stuff. And we were like, well, what are, what's with these dumbasses? How come they don't know that we're the <laughs> smartest and we've read the research that they should do it? And so it started to kind of dawn on us like, okay, wait, maybe we're the dumbasses. Right? Maybe we should be going about this another way. So when I rewrote the program, I took a much more behavioral kind of counseling psychology approach really thinking about how do you get people to do stuff and how do you guide them through the process of change so yeah so the way we do things now in 2018 is hugely different from how we did them mm -hmm. in 2007 2000 2007 i think is when i showed up um like the mindset is completely completely different and it's it's also grown with us and so if you think about it we are 10 or 11 years older too so yeah. we have aged, we have had families, we've had ups and downs and injuries and illnesses and moving and whatever, all the things that happen to our clients. And so now we also have a much greater appreciation of like, this is reality. This is what mm -hmm. happens. And it's super easy to have a really strict meal plan when you're a 25-year-old guy and you got nothing else to do besides go to the gym and maybe have a part-time job or whatever, right? Exactly. All of a sudden, you know, for example, John Berardi uh, has four kids and he's like, oh yeah, things are different. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not 22 anymore and working as a personal trainer. So it's matured as we have matured and as we have had different perspectives brought to us. But yeah, it's definitely, it didn't start out that way. And, and I mean, I like the word matured because I think it reflects a much more sophisticated understanding of what we're actually doing here. And I think it's a much more compassionate approach. So it's not just realistic. It's not just oriented, you know, psychologically differently, but it's much more compassionate. It's much more caring. It's much more about how can we just be kind to people because so many people are dealing with so much stuff and if your body's out of order, it probably means your life is out of order. So how do mm -hmm. we start with that piece instead? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so coming from academia, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's obviously logical for you guys to, I think that's what we all want to do as coaches, especially when we're getting started and we have all this information. It's mm -hmm. like, I just want people to understand what I understand. And if I can give them the information, then they can just go and implement it. And it's that simple. And then of course, through time and, and understanding and, and empathy and experiences, we start to change. And obviously our guidelines start to change. Did you have a background in psychology to be able to understand the behaviors that you needed to start to implement? No. Um, and it's funny you asked that because I've actually just gone back to grad school. So, and it's funny because people are like, you already have a PhD. Why are you going back to grad school? Are you some kind of like sicko? <laughs> but 
but it's, yeah, you know, I mean, it's like, why are you doing this to yourself? Right. Um, so I've actually just gone back for my master's in counseling psychology because I didn't have that background. It had to be completely self-taught. Um, you know, what I did have was a background in teaching. I was a university teacher for 10 years. Um, I had a background in research. And so I was able to go into a field of study and say, okay, like, what is it I need to know about this? Um, and then I started doing counseling workshops. I think my first, the first thing that really sparked it for me was uh, at the university I was at at the time, they had a workshop on um, emotion-focused training for eating disorders. And I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. And so I showed up and it was a two-day pretty intensive, like full day, you know, two full days of counseling. And it was just me and a bunch of therapists, right? So everyone's going around the room. What do you do? What do you do? Oh, you know, I've been in practice for 20 years. And I'm like, yeah, I teach nutrition. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was kind of a weird moment. But, but nevertheless, it, you know, it hooked me on the first day. I was like, holy crap, I see the potential of this to, you know, um, intervene in ways that we've been previously unable to. But yeah, my academic background nothing to do with counseling psychology, at least in the early days. I started it in fine arts, for God's sake. You know, I thought I wanted to be an artist in 91. So <laughs> that didn't pan out. Thank God. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think you found your niche, for yeah, sure. So for now. For now. For now. Yeah. <laughs> you know. mm -hmm. so, so, okay, cool. So 50,000 clients later. So what are, what are some of the big habits, the big needle movers that, you know, people need to implement – um, that are kind of the non-negotiables that you guys plug in with Precision Nutrition? Um, I would say that there are, there are three. Um, so the first one, and they, they appear, they're the first three habits in most of the programs. Okay. Um, and actually there's, well, there's, uh, there's two variations of the same one. One is take a five-minute action. It doesn't matter what the five-minute action is. The idea is that you do something. Because for so many of us, we get immobilized right? We get spun up in analysis paralysis. We get spun up in choices. You know, which way do I go? What do I do? We get spun up in our feelings, our stories, our scripts, and we just get stuck. But if we could just take an action, we would be mobilized. We would start the, the ball rolling. And so, of course, five minutes is like, you know, most people look at that and go, okay, I can do five minutes, whatever mm -hmm. that is. And so you start to vote in favor of change. Even if it's 30 seconds, you know, you take a vitamin, awesome. You've just voted in favor of a different future and you've taken action, which is energizing. So that's piece number one. Um, and the variation on that is make time. So the idea is to start to take an active sense of how your time is being spent. Start to take charge of your life in a very tiny way um, rather than sort of being in the river and just being passive about it. Mm -hmm. um, the second habit for most people is eat slowly. Now, regardless of whether you want to lose weight, gain muscle, whatever, it's important to check in to what is happening. Eat slowly without distractions. This is a proxy for mindfulness. This is just saying, show up, pay attention, pause for a minute before you do anything. Just take a moment to think about what's happening here. And then the third one is, for most people, if they want to lose weight, eat to 80% full. Again, it doesn't really matter what the goal is. The idea is learn your physical cues. Learn when you're physically hungry. Learn when you're physically full. Now, if you're a muscle gain person and you want to blow past that, great. But you can't be eating for mass gain forever, right? You can't mm -hmm. infinitely be taking in 5,000 calories a day. At some point, you got to cut that off. So everyone needs to learn their physiological hunger and fullness cues. And, and 
you know, it goes beyond hunger and fullness into like learn your pain cues, learn your energy cues, learn your mood cues, you know, just check in with yourself physiologically to see what's happening. So those are mm -hmm. the three main habits. And honestly, like we call them the anchor habits. You don't really need much else. I mean, you can fill in the specifics with what you eat and whatever, right. but this is the foundational root of everything. Are there any specific objective measures that you use for people to quantify or, or help facilitate these things consistently and help create awareness within those specific habits? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So for example, um, for the five minute action, it's like, did you do it or not? Right. Sure. Um, so, you know, any kind of consistency tracking is great. Um, for hunger and fullness cues, you can use like a, like a scoring sheet, like a one to 10. Mm -hmm. So yeah. uh, before you eat, how hungry are you? One to 10. You know, when you finished eating, how full were you? One to 10. With eating slowly, you can time it. And this becomes a real game for many people. There are many meal timing apps or whatever that they like to use. And it starts becoming a game. Like they try and beat their score, <laughs> which is, I think yeah. is, is really cute. Uh, and they're like, yay, high five, 12 minutes. I did it. So timing a meal for eating slowly is, is not just a great way to track progress, but also a real wake up call because you think you're eating slowly. You're like, Oh, this is stupid. This habit. I totally got this. Yeah, yeah. And then you time it and you're like, Oh my God, I just ate that in 90 seconds. <laughs> yeah. And you realize that you did it while watching television, surfing, Facebook, whatever. So there's lots of ways you can track it, but the timer for eating slowly is one of the most brutally honest and yeah. amazing methods for sure. I feel like that's one I would fail, fail at all every of us. single time. All of yeah. us would, yeah. And, and so what are, what are some of the common responses that you get back from people after, as they're implementing these? Um, what, what do people realize? Uh, what do they experience with these? Yeah, great question. Um, well, in the beginning, what often happens, people are like, this is stupid. Eating slowly? What kind of crap is that? Like, this is just right. dumb. <laughs> like, especially like, you're not telling me, like, you're not telling me what to eat. Like, I want to know what to eat or what should I not yeah. eat? Give me the meal plan, man. Right? Yeah. I didn't come here for behavior change. Just, you know, and, and I'm always like, okay, just, just try it. Like, come, you know, try it for a few days and just come back to me and, you know, tell me if it's crap. Um, so that's often the initial feedback, although some people are willing to try it. And generally what happens is people are shocked at not just how quickly they're eating, but how mindlessly or they'll be like, I cannot sit with my own thoughts at a table for 10 seconds. Like I want to freak out just the idea of being in my own head for, for 10 seconds or paying attention to what's going on around me. I feel panic. I feel anxiety. I feel freaked out. So it really shines the spotlight on like what is happening in your life. Or a lot of parents will say, I never realized that I actually haven't sat down to eat a full meal in like five years. I'm picking off my kids' plates as I'm, as, I'm clean, as I'm rushing to clear the plates to get them off to soccer. I'm like eating crusts of toast or whatever. Totally. Um, so it really is the spotlight on your life. Whatever's happening in your life, it's loneliness, anxiety, distraction, rushing, overwhelm, busyness, resentment, whatever it is. And so generally what people say is, I'm surprised. I'm shocked. I can't believe it. And it's really revealed to me what is out of order in my life. And they wouldn't necessarily say it like that, but that's generally, um, generally the, the zeitgeist. I think we all, those of us in the industry who have worked with enough clients, I think there, there comes a the point where we, we pretty quickly realize that 
there's a lot of things that underlie someone's, you know, quote unquote goals when they come to us, say, I want to lose weight, I want to get healthier, I want to get fit, I want to get toned, whatever it is. I think pretty quickly realize that that's not really the goal. The goal is, is something deeper. I, I, I guess my question is, what have been your observations for the drivers, the main drivers for people to start to, uh, you know, to want to, quote unquote, lose weight, get healthier? You know, what is underlying all of these things that you've experienced? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm so glad you asked that question because I this is something I would want all trainers and coaches to know, which is that almost nobody ever starts a program when they feel great. And I've said this before to trainers, right? Like you're not sitting around going, you know what? I'm doing pretty awesome. I'm like about an A. I wonder if I can get to an A plus, right? Like there might be athletes that think that way. There might be a small percentage of clients, but most people don't tip that balance into like, I got to change until there's some kind of crisis. Your partner leaves you. You have a breakup. You have a job loss. Something really crappy happens to you. You, you, catch a photo of yourself on a vacation. You're like, dear God, is that me? Like Mm. some precipitating crisis has to occur. Um, And often it's like a series of little crises. It's not necessarily like a a big thing. It's a series of like small insults to your dignity and self-worth. But, but ultimately for most people, it comes from some desire to just be okay, to just be loved to just be cared for, to just be all right in a, in a world of uncertainty. And that sounds like really metaphysical and woo-woo. But if you sort of boil it down to like universal human questions, ultimately everyone just wants to be okay. They ultimately mm-hmm. just want to be loved. And so we do this exercise called the five whys, which I'm sure some of your listeners know about. It's like, why do you want to lose weight? Uh, why well, I want to lose weight so I can I don't know, wear pants, <laughs> wear size six pants. Okay, well, why is a size six pants important to you? Well, because I feel more confident. And you just sort of drill down the whys. And the fifth why is usually something like, because I feel uncertain about my place in the world. I want to be more mm-hmm. confident in my job. I want people to like me. Again, it's these universal human needs. And for people that have struggled with their weight or their body shape or whatever for a long, long time, there's more underneath there's usually some kind of trauma or difficult life experience, or there's something bigger going on, something more painful and deep. And so, you know, I know some trainers still take the approach of berating people or like, you got to confront people with their, you know, their stupid behavior, man, people know they're out of shape. They know they feel like crap. They know that, you know, the choices that they're making. And so generally the need again is to be okay, to be loved, to be worthy, to be free of pain Mm-hmm. And to not feel uncomfortable emotions. Now, whether that's stress, anxiety, sadness, anger, guilt, whatever it is, it can be a bunch of different things. But that's the reality of what's happening in most people's lives. Um, for men in particular, it tends to be more an injury. So something happens in their life, um, you know, and they, they're like, okay, I got to get in shape. And they go to the gym, and they get injured. And then they're like, ugh. And that sets them back. So, or, or, you know, they've always had this vision of themselves as like competent and strong. And maybe that was great when they were 18, but now they're 35 and they go to pick up a box and their back goes sprung and they're like, how did I get here? (laughs) Um, So there's lots and lots of different reasons, but, but underneath it is, is a human issue. And 
as a trainer or a coach, you would be wise to read philosophy <laughs> to yeah. understand these questions that people have grappled with, you know? So I, I thank you for, for that because, you know, I, I think that's spot on. And, and so to follow that up is, have you observed that as people go down that journey, do they experience that emotional freedom that they're looking for when they get to said goal? Or is it more about kind of the process of obtaining that goal that sets them free? Or is it something completely different that doesn't even really have to do with weight loss or nutrition or, or something like that? Mm-hmm. Well, a lot depends on how they got to that goal, Hmm. right? So let's say you are someone who seeks self-esteem and you think that if I get to 15% body fat, if I'm female, if I get to that mythical 15% body fat or whatever, then I'll be okay. And you're like, okay, that's it. I'm going to, you know, hit a fitness competition. I'm going to hire a trainer. I'm going to go hard at this. I'm going to surround myself with rules and whatever. Then you're going to get to 15% body fat and hate life. Like you're going to be worse off than you were before. And I actually find there's like a tipping point. It's like for most people, a certain level of fitness, you get better and better and better and happier and happier and happier. Yes. And then you crest the roller coaster hill and it's like, (laughs) so that point's different for everyone. Right. But, but it's not a linear relationship. It is more like a parabola. Um, And so so first of all, the method by which you get there is really important. Um, and ideally, we want to get there through an intrinsic process, a process that is you know, self-affirming and validating and addresses whatever underlying issues we had that brought us there and enables us to feel empowered to find our own strength and to be able to tolerate discomfort. Um, that's what ends up feeling good. So let's say we tackle... So let's imagine another, another scenario where the same woman tackles, um, I don't know, like a big hiking challenge. And she's with a group of other people who are all pitching in and there's lots of social support. And maybe she gets to that 15% body fat because she's hiking and, and supporting her hiking through good nutrition. And, and, but at the end of it, she feels terrific. And the 15% body fat is almost irrelevant in the face of the self-empowerment, the learning of the skills, the social support, the expanding new horizons, whatever it was. So I think people delude themselves to think that when I get to this goal, I will be happy. It's like, it's gotta, it's gotta go the other way. And um, my best friend recently had a very scary medical diagnosis. She's an active woman. She's a, a fighter and she, you know, has knowledge of good nutrition but, you know, over the years, things happen. And so her doctor said, hey, listen, here's your medical diagnosis. You better sort your stuff out. And she was like, whoa. And so she was like, okay, this is it. I got I to gotta not mm-hmm. be like this. And so six months later, she looks terrific. And everyone was like, what happened? How did you do it? And she said, I finally loved myself. And that's just like, whoa. Because she had all the knowledge. She had all the skills. She had a supportive community. But that was the missing piece. She wasn't prepared to care for herself. And after the diagnosis, she was like, I got to do this. So a lot of it is about what is happening inside. And a lot of the time, loving yourself or caring for yourself, or at least being neutral to yourself, not being an asshole to yourself, has to come first. It's like the whole five-minute action. Action has to come before motivation. That's the secret. 
Are there any tools that you guys utilize to help people implement that, to help people realize the level of self-love that they're giving or not giving themselves? Yeah, totally. And so the, the, the Precision Nutrition Program, as well as the offshoot, which we uh, license out to any certified professionals, is based on the schools of psychology that are most able to elicit that in people. So the idea is to kind of give people the progressive program of self-awareness and self-insight, but always with a real mind to like, okay, here's some stuff you may want to notice in yourself. And we're not ripping the Band-Aid off. Like it's very tiny little like, hey, today maybe just think about this. Just notice that. That's all we're saying. And like so there's little tiny progressive little pokes, like poke, 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 poke. But, you know, so for example, using cognitive behavioral therapy, using motivational interviewing, using solution-focused therapy, even a little bit of emotion-focused therapy to bring people's awareness to things gently, you know, at that, the, the correct developmental level, and then say, here's some stuff you want to notice. Here's where you can go with that. So if you're noticing this, here's a pathway to digest that. Because I think you don't want to like rip up, you know, the rug and say, here's all the bugs underneath. Yeah, yeah. Good luck. <laughs> here's all your crap good luck have a nice life so you know part of the program is really also about skill building and saying okay so for example um maybe you feel uncomfortable and you're managing that through eating right now um here's some more skills to practice to deal with discomfort itself why don't you try that so it's about bringing awareness it's about giving tools um and it's about using those particular disciplines of psychology that are the most effective in helping people do that. And I personally love solution focused therapy because that is all about like get in there, identify the problem and then immediately start thinking about what you can do. Immediately start putting yourself in the driver's seat. Here's a skill, go use it. Awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think it's interesting that how much you guys use these skills to build someone's competence uh, with respect to, you know, their, their nutrition habits. And I'm curious how you and how you have coaches qualify their clients to kind of determine how coachable they are, or they, even the coaches, how coachable they themselves are. Because as you talk into this, I can see, you know, and, and I've certainly experienced a lot of people saying, you know, just, just give me the meal plan, just give me the workout plan. And a lot of resistance to, to digging in and, and potentially identifying some of those deep seated issues. And so how do we, uh, you know, how do we work with clients or how do you help people understand like, or help you quantify the level of coachability that they're willing to take on at one given time? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things we do is straight up ask people, we, we give them a one to 10 and say, right now, how ready are you to change? How willing are you to change? And how able are you to change? Scale of one to 10, there's no wrong answers. You tell me where you're at. And if you give me a pretty low score, I have more questions for you. <laughs> do you need to be here? Do you want to be here? What would, you know, if you're a seven out of 10, what would bring you to a 7.5? How come you're not a 6.5? Are you more ready than you were a month ago? Is that useful for me to know? The other thing we stress is this is your journey. Like I always tell clients, like this is your path. This is your game. You play the game any way you want. 
So if there's something in this program that doesn't work for you, screw it, throw it out. Um, if you don't want to do measurements, I don't care. <laughs> this is your path. Um, and I think for a lot of people, this is the first time that someone has had a grown-up conversation with them that treats them as adults and says, you are an autonomous, smart human being that can make choices on your own behalf. Now, I'm here to help you make better choices. I'm here to help you facilitate it. I'm here to talk it through, to guide you, give you some options. Hey, I would go this way if you want. But I think most of the exercise nutrition stuff has been very much framed as like, you do this and you're a bad person if you don't do it. Like even the language of compliance is like, who is compliant? Little kids and people in jail, right? Like, <laughs> like prisoners are compliant. <laughs> so who wants that? Um, and so, you know, we talk to clients about like, what are your priorities right now? How can we keep this real? Like maybe you want to get super jacked and swole, but you work full time. You have two kids, you have a commute. Is that realistic for you? And if it is, what are you prepared to trade? Let's have an adult conversation about what's most important, what your priorities are, what you want to do, and what you're willing to say yes and no to. And I think clients really appreciate that because they're like, first of all, I never really thought about that, like that to get yeah. to that you know, proverbial 15% body fat that I would have to trade something off. Totally. A lot of times they thought it was easier than it was going to be, right? Like a lot of them are a little bit surprised. Always, they're like, I thought yeah. I could just maybe stop drinking pop or whatever, and that would do it, right? Um, but I think saying you are the boss, so what are you willing to trade and how ready, willing, able are you, again, using that scale of one to 10, um, is very, very helpful. And we do that right up front. And, yeah. and we train our coaches to be very zen about things, to not, you cannot want the goal more than the client does, right? We talk about care units. How much do you care and how much does the client care? If they yeah. only care, a seven out of 10, actually that's pretty high. If they only care a five out of 10 because they have all the other stuff in their life, you cannot care a 10 out of 10. You have to care a four. <laughs> right. um, and if they care a 10 out of 10, awesome. You can show up with your nine out of 10 caring, but you cannot care more than they do. And you have to be prepared to relinquish that attachment to them reaching their goals and allow them to be the boss, which paradoxically will stimulate them much more to change. Especially mm -hmm. the ones that show up and they're like, I'm a stubborn badass. And you're like, great, be the boss. And they're like, okay. <laughs> it just takes the wind out of their sails, right? Because there's no right. resistance if you give them nothing to resist. What are they going to do? It's like bullfighting. You just pull the cape away and there's nothing there. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so what, what, is, what do you typically see as far as the journey Okay, you've worked with 50,000 clients, and I know you have, it's, it's a year-long program, isn't it? Mm -hmm, or is it mm -hmm. Yeah, year-long year -long. program. So what does that journey typically look like? What are you seeing from a, an objective standpoint at the end in terms of our people hitting their goals? And, and what's the ride been like for them? What are the things that you're constantly hearing? Uh, well, in the beginning, obviously, there's lots of enthusiasm and some fear, a lot of fear which is interesting because we try not to be scary. So where's the fear coming from, right? So, so a lot of people have fear because there's something in them that I think knows that change is going to require something that they may not want to deliver. Um, there's lots of excitement. There's lots of enthusiasm. Um, and 
in the beginning, people, I think, um, are surprised and delighted or challenged by the fact that it's simple but not easy. So as soon as they run through, you know, five-minute action, eat slowly, eat 80% full, they're like, oh, like, I feel like I don't need a lot of complicated stuff. But this simple stuff is harder than I thought in a good way. So that's sort of the early stuff. They, and they generally start to see immediate benefits from simply being more aware. Like they start to notice like, oh, I notice I'm doing this. We teach awareness right off the bat. So they start to see benefits from awareness. Then we start to teach what to eat. And people are like, again, we, and I try to teach the stuff that makes people feel better right away. So we add protein, we add colorful fruits and vegetables, we add smart carbs, and people get feeling better. And they get really excited and they're like, okay, this is great. I'm starting to feel better. I'm starting to plan my meals. I start to see, you know, immediate effects. Um, but then we hit the grind. So that's about three months in and the bloom is off the rose and people are like, oh, wait a minute. I got to keep doing this like forever. <laughs> that's right. So there's a little bit of a trough around that point and, and we call it out. You know, we say, look, this is what you're going to experience. It's normal. It's okay. Use this as an opportunity to keep grooving and keep grooving and keep grooving. So think of it more as like a practice period. Then around six months, motivation falls off. Life happens, people travel, whatever. And so there's like, we, we give them a little bit of a break and say, okay, let's reboot and recommit. Maybe your motivation's changed. Maybe you suddenly don't care about weight loss anymore. Maybe you realize you just want to have adventure in life or whatever. So around six months is when things start to crack open. People are like, oh, I thought it was about this, but I realize it's about that. And often they get actually more excited. They're like, this is so great. Now I can unload all this other crap and start pursuing this goal that really makes me interested and happy. And in the second uh, six months of the program is where we do a lot of the inner game work, a lot of the mindset stuff. And we start to get into lifestyle stuff like sleep, de-stressing, communication, relationships, um, asking for what you need, organizing your life. Um, and mm. then we get into looking forward. Where do you want to go with all of this? Because this, um, this, this is not the end, right? Being a good eater is not a goal. It's so that you can get somewhere else. And so we start encouraging people, hey, listen, where do you want to go? Do you want to take a cool trip? Do you want to have an interesting life? Do you want to give back? Do you want to improve your relationships? And so the end of the program is looking towards the future and getting people excited. Like now that you've built this capacity, where can you go with it? What's possible? And what's been fascinating is a lot of people have discovered that, first of all, maybe they didn't get any physical results, but they feel amazing psychologically uh, or just in terms of their energy level. They don't care. They're like, I didn't lose 20, I didn't lose a single pound, but I don't care. I feel awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, or I suddenly now feel a commitment to helping other people. We've had more coaches come out of our client program than I think anywhere else because they discover how much better they feel. They're like, this is amazing. I want to help other people do this. I want to learn more. So that happens a lot, which is really cool. Um, mm -hmm. so, so generally most people emerge with a new sense of possibility and a new sense of themselves and a new story for themselves, which is great to see. Now, there's always that small percentage of people that like white knuckle the whole thing. 
and they rigidly control it to the end of the year and then they kind of crash and burn and they're like, okay, maybe that wasn't the best path. But generally, um, you know, if people get to the end, they have a sense of a hopeful future and a greater sense of their own self-efficacy that they could do more than they expected of themselves a year ago. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And so where does the power of community lie within the hierarchy of, 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 you know, steps that you guys take? How important have you determined it to be with, you know, for your client's success? I think it's huge. I think that the more your environment is organized around the person that you want to become or the life that you want to live, the better, whether that's your physical environment, your social environment, um, you know, any environmental component, the more pieces you have that support your journey, the better. And I think people don't realize how strong that is. They, you know, I think maybe it's a North American thing to rely on willpower and individual will and like soldier ahead no matter what. But I would argue that the environmental component, again, whether it's physical or social or whatever, is probably like 95% of it. Um, more, like it's, it's, it's vastly, vastly significant. And until people start reorganizing it, they don't realize. So, um, and community is huge. I mean, it's like, that's why CrossFit is so successful, right? You go, you have a bunch of people who support you. You have an identity now, like you're part of a team. So I think human beings tend to underestimate, at least in North America, again, how important the collective is. And it can be any collective. It doesn't matter if it's your family, your friends, your workout buddies, whoever that is. But the collective is huge. And if I ever have a client who's like, I'm not telling my family that I'm doing this, I'm like, you may want to rethink that. I mean, I think it's so well established. And I feel bad that I didn't grasp this earlier in my career. Mm -hmm. And and so it's like, we know this through religion. We know this through CrossFit. We know this Mm -hmm. through our research with the blue zones and all of these communities around the world that are the longest living people in the world. And a major component of their lifestyle is their community. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, is there anything that you recommend to people um, that are going through this journey that may not be going through it with precision nutrition or to coaches that are running their own coaching programs to help facilitate um, some aspect of community? Yeah, I think the first one would just be acknowledging that that's a thing. So reconceptualize your whole set of processes around like all of your client activities. How is your space organized? How do you set up classes? How do you interact with clients? How are the sessions organized? Like what space does someone have to walk through? Like just think about every single aspect of your practice and ask yourself, is this conducive to social support? Does it promote social support? So a super simple example of that is bring a friend day. Uh, You know, boxing class I used to go to had bring a friend day. And this was terrific. People brought friends, family, kids, dogs, like everyone. Um, have a dog in the gym sometimes. Like sometimes it depends if, if people are scared of dogs or not. But having a dog at a gym, automatic ratcheting up of, of yeah. people's perception oh. of friendliness, right? Um, so like bring a friend day, you know, having a family orientation. I don't mean like kid appropriate, but in the sense of like, okay, you have a client. They probably have friends and family. They're probably in a constellation of people. 
So how can you reach out to those people? Mm -hmm. I don't mean bringing them in as gym members necessarily, but let's say, for example, how can you support a family who might be, um, might have a client that needs to change their diet? Let's say someone's just been diagnosed with type two diabetes. Can you have a handout for other family members? Here's how to prepare type two diabetes friendly meals, right? Like how can you support other people in it? But also how are you creating a welcoming space? And this is a, a classic problem for many MMA gyms. I find now I'll walk in there and be one of the only women and be like, whatever. But I'll tell you, if I walk in and they're friendly and they're welcoming and the bathrooms are clean and there's another woman in the class, I'm a million times more likely yeah. to hang out at that place. So assess the overall vibe. If someone comes in your front door, are they going to want to stay? Are they going to want to connect with the other people? Simple stuff. When you run a group class, make sure everyone knows each other. If there's a new person, hey, Jane is new today. Everyone say hi to Jane. Everyone high five Jane. Pair Jane with someone else. Like it's... Little, little things like that make a huge difference. Yeah, that's gold. I mean, mm -hmm. for, and you know, we do have a lot of trainers that listen and, and there's a lot of pipelines that trainers go through depending on who they're learning from and the certifications that they get that can be very rigid and militant and, and give us this perception that we need to be drill instructors as a trainer and count, be always counting tempo. And, and I'm not saying that's not right for certain people, but mm -hmm. First and foremost, I mean, do we want someone to continue coming? Do we want them to be physically active? Does it matter, yes. you know, like if they're exercising, if they're having a good time, if they're in a community, if they're, you know, um, enjoying themselves? I mean, isn't that really the most important thing, uh, especially from an exercise standpoint, when we know the lifestyle and nutrition are going to be the main drivers, especially if weight loss is a goal or whatever. So I, um, I'm really appreciative that you, you know, you shared that. Um, and for those that aren't trainers, but are part of a community or, you know, exercising, then you should feel like you are part of a community um, and enjoying, you know, your time that you, know, you set aside to, uh, to exercise. So um, yeah, that's, that, that's really, really good stuff. Krista, Maybe you could quickly tell us about your book, Why Me Want to Eat. Yeah, well, okay, am I allowed to swear here? Yeah, please, bring it on. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I always have to ask. Um, yeah, so, so the, the latest book is called Why, we, Why Me Want Eat, Fixing Your Food Fucked Upitude. And it is a, like a little workbook that takes all of the counseling psychology approaches to treating disordered eating mm -hmm. and puts it in a fun format that is like very accessible, very plain language, um, and, and full of little exercises that you can do. So the book is like, you know, people have asked, well, can I get it in Kindle? And I'm like, no, 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 it's print because it's a mm -hmm. book that you want to scribble on. And in a couple of places, I'm like, rip out this page and crumple it up like, so that you can physically interact with it. Um, and it's like, it's like, it's, it's similar to a habit-based approach in the sense it's like, it's little nuggets of like, here's how to think about this. And then here's what to do about it. And to slowly process, you know, whatever fucked up attitude you have, because almost all of us are messed up in some way or another. And I don't mean to say that we're all inherently dysfunctional. It's just, we're actually incredibly resilient and functional. It's more like to say, listen, you're not alone, whatever you're dealing with. 2018 is a weird time <laughs> to be alive. So if you're feeling a little bit unsettled, it's totally normal. Here's how to digest it a little bit, so to speak. 
So that was the intent of that book. And, and you know, because I was finding that clinical literature in disordered eating was inaccessible and also spoke to a very limited population. Like most of us are not clinical grade disordered eaters or, you know, we don't have a clinical disorder. We're just a little messed up, <laughs> like on the yeah. continuum. So uh, clinical literature was very dry. didn't speak to, you know, most people. And then a lot of the sort of self-help books around disordered eating were very, I don't know, kind of huggy, touchy-feely, like, you know, find your journey kind of stuff. And that's not wrong. Like, it, it definitely connects to some people. But for me, the flavor of this was just like, man, this shit's fucked up. Like, when you're in it, you're just like, why am I so crazy? Like, you have your, the way you talk to yourself about it in your head is real. And it's very gritty and graphic. And so I tried to encapsulate a little bit of that mental script and how it would feel and the kind of language that you'd use to talk to yourself, which is for many people asking themselves, why is my shit so fucked up? <laughs> and just, and then to say, here's how to unfuck it. And, and here's a sense of possibilities in a very clear step-by-step -step process that you can follow. So it seems to be a hit with people. And of course there's lots of humor, obviously, because you yeah. kind of have to laugh at your problems. Um, <laughs> I like, you know, I haven't read it, but I will definitely look forward to reading it, especially because the more people I work with, the more I realize how fucked up we are. Yes. <laughs> um, but I like that you're accepting, you know, allowing people to accept the fact that they're fucked up and it's totally okay. Yeah. And it's like, okay, let's accept it. And it's not your fault. I'm, I'm assuming no, it's not your fault. Not your fault. And so here, let's, let's work through it to help you understand why you're feeling this way and, and what can be done about it. So that's definitely something that I'm going to check out. And for all you listening, we'll make sure to have a, a link in the show notes so that you can find out why you're fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> and to understand that you can, like, it's only, it's only like if, if, if we draw the pie chart of your life, right, it doesn't determine you. Because uh, I think a lot of us feel like, oh, I'm fucked up and therefore I'm a dysfunctional human being. It's like, no, no, no. You're probably like a 99.9% .9 very resilient, very strong, um, enduring human being. It's just that this is like, you know, something that's not as workable as it could be. But it doesn't mean that you are the problem. The problem sure. is the problem. But, you know, one of the prevailing messages of the book is like, you're actually way more resilient and strong and cool and thoughtful and wise than you realize. All you need are some skills to kind of tap into mm -hmm. that a little bit. You know, and, and we'll wrap it up in a sec, but I imagine it's a pretty useful resource for coaches and trainers because in my experience, sometimes we are the most fucked up. 100%. Um, 100%. Agree. And, 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 and there's always a period of time where we're kind of hiding behind our own like just kind of genetic gifts and maybe we're just naturally in great shape or we just love to train and we just happen to eat great and but we're still you know have our our eating issues and our food issues and our body image issues and and so i think until we can overcome those, understand and overcome those, we probably aren't in a position to really be able to help other people deal with their own stuff, if that sounds fair. Yes, I think you've made such an important point there for a couple of reasons. One is that, yes, if you work with clients, they will activate your stuff. They don't mean to, but they will activate your stuff at some point. So you better handle that. 
um, unless you want to walk around even more wigged out than you were before, mm-hmm. right? Um, the other piece is that by by working through our own issues and having compassion for ourselves, we're then able to extend that compassion to our clients because coaches are not special people. Um, as you say, some of us used to be athletes or we had genetic gifts, but aging really levels the playing field for the most part. <laughs> so whatever genetic gifts you have at 18, forget about them when you're 45, <laughs> they're not going to be helping you as much as they used to. So, you know, we need to develop the skills of compassion for ourselves uh, if we want to have them for our clients. And when I talk about compassion, a lot of hard ass coaches are like, well, that's just crap. People need to be taught that whatever. And I'm like, you know what? Research shows that that doesn't work. Like it just doesn't work. And maybe it works for that 1% of clients that loves the hard ass approach and wants to hurt. But by and large, compassion and care and gentleness and kindness even if you, your program is very structured or, you know, challenging, that has to be there. And if you cannot find that in yourself for yourself, you're not going to be able to give it to clients. And, you know, as you say, so many coaches are walking around with this secret inside themselves mm-hmm. that they feel like they cannot achieve whatever it is they want to achieve. And so they feel like frauds and they feel oh. anxious and they, you know, they, 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 you know, excoriate themselves in all kinds of ways. That's also energy that could be going to your clients, right? Mm-hmm. Like imagine if you could get rid of your neuroses and anxiety and self-flagellation, all that kind of stuff, how much more relaxed and happy you would be in working with your clients. Like, wouldn't yeah. that be nice? Oh, I don't have to sit here wondering if my client thinks that I'm out of shape. I'm cool. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I can focus on my client. And that's, you know, um, truthfully, that's a lot of the stuff that I started to realize about myself with going through the habit coaching program. I was one of the first, I think I was in the first certification program that Precision Nutrition had for coaches. This was probably 2006 or 2007, if that okay. sounds mm-hmm. that's right. Um, and so it's been a long, interesting road, but, but certainly uncovering our own demons has been absolutely instrumental in developing the empathy necessary to, and compassion necessary to help understand other people, what other people are going through. So I'm glad you brought that up again, as I'm really looking forward to diving into your book. And, and with that, you know, I'm going to let you roll, but, um, Krista, thank you so much for your time and energy uh, on the show. It's really, it's really been enlightening. Oh, thanks. My, my pleasure. It was great to be here. Oh, and um, before I let you go, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, well, um, you can always find me on Facebook. That is because, you know, I'm an old person in <laughs> my mid-40s. Facebook is my medium of choice. So if you just totally. find me on Facebook, that's, that's uh, one of the easiest ways. I'm also on Twitter, rarely. Um, and Instagram uh, as at Stumptuous. And of course, Stumptuous.com is my poorly tended website that, that uh, it's been around for 20 years, but I've been letting it uh, kind of float off into the ether a little bit. But, you know, you can find me there too. You can find Stumptuous cool. on Facebook. So, and then of course, PrecisionNutrition.com. Uh, you know, if you're a coach, trainer, whatever, there's so much free stuff on it. I highly encourage people to just go and read all 500 of our <laughs> free yeah. articles on there and just enjoy tons tons of incredible free very useful very well put together content pieces of content um and uh so make sure you guys go and check it out and with that krista thank you again very much it's really been a pleasure and we'll have to do it again soon 
Yeah, sounds good. All right, take care. Bye-bye. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Krista Scott Dixon. What an enlightening conversation that was as to the power of our mindset, as to the power of our behaviors, and how so much of our success resides not in the foods we do or don't put in our mouth, but really in our day-to-day actions and behaviors and the power of, of just being consistent. And so I hope you found the same value that I did. I hope that you found some actionable steps that you can start to implement and make sure to check out the show notes over at bslnutrition.com slash episode 38. And if you haven't already and you're new to the show, well, I hope you enjoyed it and make sure to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes so that ultimately we can help more people make smart nutrition simple. And if you have any questions or have a specific topic that you'd love for me to cover on the show, then just do me a favor and shoot me an email. You can reach me at ben at bslnutrition.com. I'd love to hear from you. The only way that I can keep making this show better is by getting your feedback. So please, please leave a review, shoot me an email, let me know what you'd like to see or hear on the show, if there's any guests that you'd love to hear, and uh, any insight you have would be so much greatly appreciated. With that said, I appreciate you. You have a wonderful rest of your day, and I'll talk to you next week. This episode was brought to you by BSL Nutrition and the Complete Essentials All-in-One Training Drink. If you've been looking for a comprehensive workout supplement that can help support great energy both in and around your workouts as well as reduce muscle soreness naturally without all the caffeine and artificial sweeteners, then head over to bslnutritionshop.com and type in podcast at checkout for 15% off your first purchase of either grape and or lemon lime.